watchers in the fourth dimension. I could feed you to my pet octopus, yes? I too have sense of humor. Nothing in the world can stop me now! Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Julie. I'm Rob. And I'm Riley. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the animated version of The Underwater Menace, which came out in the UK in November 2023. As you've probably just heard, we are joined by friend of the podcast, anthropologist, and all-round great chap Rob Lloyd. Hi Rob, it's great to have you on the show. That's so kind. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you, everyone. We're happy to have you. And just as some background, Rob is one of our convention friends. He and I have known each other for, I don't know, Rob, probably about 12 years at this point. It's been a while. And you've been on panels, certainly at conventions with at least me and Riley. Um, Have you ever been on one with Julie as well? I don't know if we have. I don't think so. I tend to go towards some Shakespeare and and good omens, so don't know if you go in that realm. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> I've done some Shakespeare. You never know. We may uh, we may encounter each other in that vein at some point. Well, Rob, we are delighted to finally have you join us on the show. It's something we've been talking about for a bonus episode for a little while now. It's a delight. All right. Before we discuss the underwater menace, I'm going to jump in with some quick behind the scenes info. And The Underwater Menace was originally broadcast in the UK between the 14th of January and the 4th of February 1967. From there, it was sold abroad fairly extensively, and it's known to have been broadcast in Australia in 1967 and 1968, Singapore and Hong Kong in 1969, New Zealand in late 1969 into early 1970, and its final known broadcast was in Zambia in May 1970. Like many BBC productions of the time, the serial fell to the corporation's junking programme, and the last set of prints were returned to the BBC from Australia in 1975 and were very promptly junked. And by that time, the BBC's own master transmission tapes of the serial had also already been wiped. Despite this, the BBC retained a film print of episode 4 in the archives of their film library. Why? Well, no one's really sure. But they did, and that's why we still have that episode today. Separately, another film print of episode 2 also survived and was acquired by a private film collector in the 1980s. How it got into their hands is yet another mystery, but it was returned to the BBC archives in 2011, which was something I very vividly remember happening. And once they got their hands on it, they were able to confirm that that print was from the Australian prints that was supposedly destroyed in 1975, so at least one of them escaped. And that brings us to the modern day. Episodes 2 and 3 were originally planned for release on DVD in 2013, and they were going to be supplemented with animation for the missing episodes 1 and 4. However, due to problems with one of the companies involved in the planned animation, those plans were shelved. The two surviving episodes would receive their first home release in October 2015, accompanied by very poor reconstructions of the missing episodes. And they were so (laughs) rough, we went the other direction and used the unofficial fan-made reconstructions Mm. by Loose Cannon when we did the story the first time around. Good old Loose Cannon. Good old Loose Cannon. How we miss you. Actually, we don't, but... (laughs) (laughs) We like having full stories, okay? 
Anyway, fast forward a few years and the BBC picked back up their animation programme. And here we are today with a full animation. Directed by Anne-Marie Walsh, who previously directed the animations for The Faceless Ones and The Evil of the Daleks, it was commissioned in May 2022. Work was completed in July 2023. And as mentioned, it was released in the UK in November 2023. And at the time that we are recording this, a US release has not yet been scheduled. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> of course, we covered the story back in our 38th episode, Zaroff the Chain. So go and listen to that if you want to hear us talk about that one. In this bonus episode, we will mostly be discussing the animation. And with that in mind, to get us started, how did everyone watch this? Did you go for the colour version, the black and white version? Riley, I know you probably extracted it to ticker tape or something like that. <laughs> Let's hear it, guys. So I had a little bit of spare time because work was not as crazy. So I did my first initial watch in black and white. And then I decided to try it in color because I don't think I've ever done that on any of our animations other than like a five minute sneak peek. So I did both black and white first, though. Wow. Okay. I did the black and whites and then I literally scrubbed through the color ones just to get an idea of what they were going for with those. Rob, did you have a preference? So I also split it up. I watched the first two in monochrome and the second two in color. And because this was a new story to me, I had only ever seen short clips before. I also went ahead and watched the live action versions of the surviving episodes to compare. Amazing. Nice. Oh, wow. I'm dedicated. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. No one could ever accuse you of anything else. Well, I'm going to shock you guys because I know I've previously been a black and white purist, but something oh. drove me to watch the color versions this time. Oh. <laughs> tisk, tisk, tisk. He's giving you crap all this time, Riley, and he's the one who I does know. it. I know. I have to say, I actually like this one in color. Yeah. I don't know that it really drives it to be that much better, but I enjoyed it in color. It reminded me a bit of like Scooby-Doo uh, from yes. back in the day. <laughs> yes, it's the color palette they used. I don't know what it was, but the color palette was just very striking. Again, a lot of high contrast. Oh my goodness. I enjoyed it. I think I preferred it in the black and white. But it's like Scooby-Doo if Scooby-Doo were made by Adult Swim. <laughs> right, so Adventure yes. Brothers. It's Venture Brothers, yeah. right? Yeah. I was getting kind of a Super Friends vibe from it. Do you remember when the Batmobile mm -hmm. was kind of a pale blue? Yes, yes, yes. Well, when they show off the Zaroff uniforms with like the belt buckle that's a Z, oh, it yes. just kind of really called back to that. See, I got X-Men vibes from that with the blue and the yellow. Ah. Okay. I was thinking Wonder Twins, but okay. <laughs> On that note, I have to tell you, I was severely disappointed that the Zaroff branding was, as far as I could tell, not part of the original program. Right. Because I was loving their Zaroff guns and the, the <laughs> uniforms, like, you know. They were so wonderful. I definitely made a comment about the guns because it reminded me how in the Leonardo DiCaprio, Romeo and Juliet movie, oh, when yes, they drew absolutely. swords and they were guns that said sword on the side. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Baz Luhrmann. 
Jeez. <laughs> but it just reminded me of that. It just gave me that kind of vibe. But yeah, I enjoyed all the branding. Oh, I like the colors and I liked that they made all of the fish people like very individualized. Yes. Oh, that was so good. I thought it was very 2020s that Zaroff has this amazing personal brand. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> That's definitely not something that 1967 Zaroff was concerned about, but 2023 <laughs> Zaroff has his LinkedIn page going. He's carefully curating his Instagram and he's got his logo on his Stooges uniforms and their guns. I mean, what a Absolutely. guy. Absolutely. He has spin off products. Yeah. He's a mad scientist seeking world destruction, but he is also very much an influencer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. One of my big questions about Zaroff watching this story, and I know y'all have been through this already, but this was new to me, so I beg your indulgence. One of my big questions was, how is this guy funded? <laughs> right? He, yeah. he has a high-tech base inside a volcano, you know, in classic supervillain fashion. He has all these henchmen. Are they working for him for the lulls? They must be paid, right? So where is he getting his money from? And that must be the answer. He is a franchise product in the outside world. And see, that's a lot safer doing that than what Captain Nemo did, which was, I believe, in the Disney movie from way, way back, was basically selling arms to warring nations, basically being an arms dealer. So that's not safe. <laughs> selling Zaroff branded fish fillet knives, very safe. <laughs> Zaroff brand frozen plankton cakes. Yes, exactly. It's not like he could sell his plankton because it rotted within hours. Also, I have questions about all that too. Like, was refrigeration not something that they thought of? That's the thing. They say explicit. I think the doctor says at one point they don't have refrigeration. But, but you know, they... Zaroff, as far as we can tell, is brilliant in so many other ways. He couldn't have set up a refrigeration system. It makes yeah. no sense. Like I say, I have many questions, but <laughs> I don't want to derail us into Zara exploration territory too much. Anthony would love that forever because he has one of his favorite phrases of all time. Any excuse to say it, I'm going to do it. <laughs> Nothing in your world can stop me now. That's right. <laughs> it's okay. just got to be done. I have a feeling we'll be going back to Zaroff often as we kind of bump around within the animation. But long way back about the fish people, the use of color for that. I have to say, I was a little disappointed by the variation. I thought we would stick to a classic kind of blue green kind of thing at most. Not like those bright, bright reds. I thought the variation was great. They look nothing like the original on-screen version from the live action. And I kind of really dig when these animations take the opportunity to reimagine something. And I think they were done really well. You know, I was going to ask you your feelings on that subject. I think Riley will be the one who disagrees the most on this. I think he really enjoyed the designs last time, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I did. I did. And if I remember correctly, I was... Always speaking about how much I wanted them to find episode three so we could see the kind of fish people ballet. So we got the imagined animated version of it here. And, uh, you know, I believe that is going to be one of those things where I wish it could have just stayed how I imagined it. Not like that. And not to say that the real version, which is somewhere out there, hopefully is mind-blowing and amazing. It isn't. But I don't know. I'm just a sucker for, like, P. 
people in goofy-looking monster outfits and a classic kind of 60s style. That's just me. If I were to say one or two things, one, to do a full ballet with everyone dancing would have been hell on the animators. Let's be clear. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They would have hated everything and would have probably been like, yeah, no. So I am glad that they chose one person and it was her getting them to be on board with everything. That kind of made sense. I liked the reimagined look except for the dresses, robes, whatever cloth thing that they had on. That felt a little, I don't know, we have to cover them up because they have to be covered up type of deal. (laughs) I would have preferred a different approach to their clothing let's say. But I don't mind all the colors and everything. I mean, if you think about it, they were all artificially created by Damon. So I wouldn't be surprised if he was just like, oh, look, I have like blue plastic. So I'm going to make this person blue. That's kind of how I took it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's fair. That's fair. Wow. I didn't think it would just... <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Keep going. So we do have the ballet because that was in episode three, which exists. Right. Oh, we do. Oh, it was the it was the destruction that we're missing. The destruction of Atlantis is what I really wanted mm. to see. Yeah, that is what I wanted to see. Yeah. And from that, and it was probably in the recon we did. The only thing we really have is where Zoroff's control room gets flooded and he stubbornly stays behind. We have that with the water slowly rising while he's still in there. I did like what they did in here where his octopus uh-huh. in the animation yes. Looked as if it was going to push down the plunger for him and then basically said, eh, no thanks. No, and the swam best off. part is the stink <laughs> eye that it gave him. The, oh, this is what you want me to do. Yeah, I'm not doing it for you. Oh, that was brilliant. I love that octopus. <laughs> Even the octopus knows he's a nut. <laughs> <laughs> the only way that possibly could have been better is if the octopus had a way to flip him off as he was swimming <laughs> off. Squirt some ink on him. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> Just a way to say, fuck you, dude. <laughs> yeah. I really enjoyed that. The arms. We don't have the crazy long arms. Check. Yeah. I'm a little upset about what they did with Jamie, and here's why. So I know in previous animated ones, they've done the sweater kilt combo right (laughs) but in the actual episode he has the full tartan that goes over the shoulder yes and so i'm missing the over the shoulder kilt and that's one of my favorite ways of wearing the tartan and so i was a little sad oh and on top of that in the first part the first episode of the serial i don't know how why they animated him like that but they weren't doing him any favors he was looking really lumpy in that sweater (laughs) <laughs> it's like he's sitting like eating too much haggis or something i don't know but it is just but a bit of a chonky scotsman but i mean yeah. that gets cleared up when they're you know later on changed out into different outfits but at the beginning i was like wow that just does not look good and then we did almost oh man i wish we had had it in real life because almost got a flash of the kilt but you know it's animated so they're not gonna <laughs> not gonna give me any help on that one Calm down, Julie. <laughs> Julie, I'm with you, though. I thought the full kill look was so, I don't know, glamorous isn't quite the right word, but impressive. And I think it's kind of a shame that the show didn't go there more. I don't know. Do we see him in that again before the two doctors? Maybe a little at the end of the war games? We'll see him in various combinations of them. I think I think the reason why he went with the sweaters, I believe that's what he wore 
with the abominable snowman. They probably already had the model and yes. uh, yeah. just ran with them. Yeah, gotcha. But if they ever decide to do the Highlanders, then if they don't go full tartan, <laughs> then I will riot. <laughs> that one's a very long time away from I coming know. just because of the sheer amount of tartan they're going to have to animate <laughs> and the complexity that adds. Do you know how difficult moving tartan is, Julie? Do you? Don't care. I would love it. So, yeah, obviously, I, I liked all that. I liked that because they changed some of the outfits and Polly, when she finally gets out of the almost operation that she has, and then she's in disguise, I did like that outfit a little bit better than what was in the original, I think. Yeah, I really like that too, actually. I thought the colors were nice and vibrant, and not gonna lie, it reminded me that I had a bit of a crush on Polly. So. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the only one here, Julie. I had a question that you folks may know the answer to regarding the difference between the animation and the live action. Was it always the intent that the Atlanteans should have a different skin color than the hmm. humans in the story? It wasn't clear to me from the live action, but if they are meant to be that sort of blue-gray, it strains credulity that they were able to blend in so well with them when they're in disguise later on. I don't think they did in the live action, if my memory serves me. I don't think that was the intent. I kind of get the idea behind doing it that way in the animation. You know, they've been underwater for so long, evolution, etc. But yeah, I think the original production, they were just normal looking people. And to your point, Rob, I think for Ben and Jamie, it's not as big of a deal because some of the people they interact with are regular humans and have regular skin it's mostly yes. with polly trying to blend in it's one of those situations where it's like eh, she's not blue but okay <laughs> that said speaking of color i did notice in the general animated cast a lot more diversity than in the original version mm -hmm. yes absolutely in all honesty i'm not entirely sure how I feel about it. I applaud the idea of it, but equally when you have a speaking part, is that disrespectful to the original actor? I'm not sure. Hmm. I hear you. Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah, I think if it's speaking roles, that gets a little tough because I would think you would want to keep it as original to that individual. And I think there was another one where there was like a token black guy who died or something like that, where you're just like, oh, you didn't have to change the skin color on certain individuals because of that or they played into a stereotype which i think happened in the web of fear maybe or one of those other ones i can't keep track of them anymore but yeah i tend to go with if it's a speaking role keep it close to that original actor because that actor should get credit for the speaking role that they did or the they did a live action of it right yeah and of course if it's an extra who doesn't speak yeah by all means change <laughs> it up and by the diversity, you mean the fact that they had the audacity to cast an Irish person, right? Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> I forgot how much the character of Damon was just every other sentence was, Casey didn't know I'm Irish. Like it was, <laughs> I forgot how much it was. I was like, wow, wow. Just every single thing is just some sort of commenter. Like, oh, it was amazing. Quite something. <laughs> Imagine if Evans in The Web of Fear had done the same thing with how Welsh she was. Oh. <laughs> you and your Welshness. Obsession with Welshness. <laughs> well, you know, 
It is half my heritage. <laughs> oh, a couple other things that I noticed in the animation, and this one is going to be a very girly thing, so I apologize to the three of you. So towards the end, Jamie is doing something to... Oh, he had gotten Polly out, and they weren't sure if the doctor and Ben were going to make it. And then it does a close-up of his clenched fist, which is just that trope in all, like, mm-hmm. romance movies of Mr. Darcy clenching his fist after holding Elizabeth's hand. And it just made me laugh so hard that they took the time to animate that. Right. Some of the animation choices, I feel like they had a good time with it. Like, going back, to, I mean, enjoying certain elements, you know, to, to build up the humor. I think specifically, of course, of Anthony's favorite line from Classic Who. On that cliffhanger, they really, really let him throw his head back, get those evil laughs out after giving that line. I'm not going to say the line because it's Anthony's line, but you get what I'm saying. I've already done it once. I might do it once more. Yeah, I know. We'll save it for the end. (laughs) Yeah. Julie, the fist thing reminded me of the Arthur meme. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. There's that one moment, speaking of some things they clearly had fun with, where King Thus and the Doctor had spoken to him and said, have you looked at Zaroff's eyes? The way they then animated him trying to get a glimpse of Zaroff's eyes after that, I thought was really, really <laughs> comically done. I really enjoyed that. Funny, because there's so many things about the Underwater Menace going through it again, and I don't know how long ago it was, maybe it was two years ago, three years ago, I have no idea. What's crazy to me about it is that there are so many things that I can't believe just went right past me that I didn't catch before that I'm like, that is just odd. Like, for example, maybe they put more emphasis into it because the animation style gets them all kind of bopping their heads and moving. But I didn't remember that Atlantis had a doo-wop group. I did not remember that. (laughs) I enjoyed that in the animation, and I remember... I guess it was just background music, diegetic music for the serial. Because I don't remember the live action, like seeing them all in a row, synchronized dancing, like the four tops or something. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that obviously happened on screen, but I had no recollection of, but I thought was absolutely hilarious, was the whole password exchange in episode four. I don't remember that at all. (laughs) I really loved that, particularly the, you don't know the password either. It's Oscar. And then later, password, Oscar, pass Oscar. <laughs> it just, it was really funny. And I don't know, I feel like that's the kind of thing I would have remembered. But for some reason, I don't. And then there's one other thing that I thought was just absolutely absurd. We talk about how brilliant Zaroff is, and I'm kind of wondering, does he have an advantage because everyone else around him are incredibly dumb? Because I'm <laughs> thinking about in episode three, when... Polly and Ramo have him down. And then Zaroff does the whole, and I quote this line, which I cannot believe this worked. This is his great plan in order to turn the tables. Have pity on me. At least help me stand at your side so I may feel the aura of your goodness. (laughs) What? Are you kidding me? At that point, he deserves to win if they fell for that. I mean, come on. Riley, we're of two minds because I have it in my notes with a big and terabang. Yeah, that is Feel insane. the aura of your goodness. Feel the aura of your goodness. God. Uh, Maybe that was counterculture hippie feelings kicking in by the writer. Maybe. I don't know. That's wild. There's probably a reason that Jeffrey Orme was never invited back to Doctor Who. <laughs> oh, man. 
absolutely insane. But you get that, which is not the fault of the animation, of course, that is just straight off the script. Going back to the animation, the spears shaped like billfish faces. That's nice. Yes. I don't remember if that was in the original, but I remember it being very clearly seen. I guess that's the other advantage of animation is that they're drawing crisp, new, high resolution lines out there, high resolution video for you, so you can see detail. Now, granted, it may not be the exact same detail that was actually on the show, but at least it's whatever they are putting out there, you can see it clearly. It is very, very obvious. Yeah, and on that note, the detail they added on Thus's crown, I mm -hmm. really like that little octopus mm -hmm. motif. I thought yes. that was really cool. The one that I found random is on the axe that was going to be the execution axe. There was a clover on it. Don't know what that was hmm. about, but Interesting. okay. Sean brought that with him, clearly, from <laughs> Ireland. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's a stranded sailor, right? So maybe his ship sank and they got it off the ship. That's what it was. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I was able to pick out in the live action that they did incorporate some of the sea life motif into the costumes. But the designers and the animators for this version really dialed it up. It reminded me of the people of Talo Khan in Wakanda Forever. So I wonder if there might have yeah. been a bit of influence there. And it would have been great, obviously, to see the original episode rendered in something closer to its form. But at the same time, I really appreciated some of the artistic license. They added a lot of lovely creativity to it. Rob, I didn't ask you at the beginning, have you seen many of the other animations or is this relatively early in your Doctor Who animation journey? That's a good question. I have seen a few. Well, I'm thinking back now. I did recently watch The Faceless Ones and The Macro Terror, both of which mm -hmm. I think are fairly recent entries. Mm -hmm. The Macro Terror doesn't exist. <laughs> excellent Sorry. very good yeah but it's been long enough i think since some of the ones i first watched that i noticed that the animation seemed to have gotten considerably better they were almost up to archer territory in this one <laughs> yeah which you know isn't a bad thing really right right <laughs> i briefly touched upon it at the beginning but i think you're right rob because I remember one of the first ones with this particular studio. I think it's the same studio. Is this the same studio that had the freakishly long arms? Um, Not 100% sure, to be honest. Okay. I just remember the one with the freakishly long arms, and I'm very glad that we don't have that to deal with in this one, because that was very disconcerting. Well, they were just foreshadowing that recent special with yes. Tennant and Catherine Tate. That's all. <laughs> yeah. If that isn't a reference to the animation, I'm going to be very <laughs> sad. That would be amazing. <laughs> it seems like the kind of thing RTD would do. <laughs> right? Well, in that case, don't let him see some of those fan-made animations of <laughs> missing episodes that are available on YouTube, because that will create some sort of like Lovecraftian... <laughs> monstrosity <laughs> that would drive everyone to madness yeah oh yeah <laughs> the celestial toy maker animation incoming oh yeah, yeah well there you yeah. go there you go i mean it does kind of look like a monstrosity but i'm not gonna go into that right now no we'll get to that one i wonder if it's going to be something like the sonic the hedgehog deal where uh <laughs> fan reaction is negative oh. enough that they go back and redo it they don't oh, have Rob, the money the for that. Doesn't have, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. 
<laughs> so we've got everybody. 38 cents. We're not redoing it. <laughs> we shot our shot. We have nothing else left in the chamber. We're done. We can't That's do it. this again. <laughs> we'll crowdsource it. That's what we'll do. <laughs> I just don't want a Disneyfied version of it. Oh, God, please no. I don't think that's coming. Before we wrap up the animation discussion on The Underwater Menace, there were just a couple of things I kind of wanted to touch on. Firstly, the colours of the TARDIS. I thought it was interesting that they went for the light green console because that was what the colour actually was in real life through the beginning of the show through to the end of season seven. But because six of those seasons were in black and white, you didn't see that. And it was only ever made in that color because it actually showed up as a better white than actually having it white would do on black and white film. So I thought it was a really interesting call to actually go with that rather than having it white. And I did notice there was kind of a purplish tinge to the roundels that I was a little unsure on, but I'm nitpicking. Yeah, that's very nitpicky. (laughs) And while we're on the color, I did enjoy the tasteful little uh, pink trim on Zarov's jacket. It was a nice touch. I was not mad at that. And then the other thing I picked up on, the masks that a lot of the Atlanteans were wearing. Mm -hmm. They looked very Rick and Morty to me. Oh, I guess you're right. Yeah. I was watching it and I was like, oh, I could see this being like a monster in Rick and Morty. I could see that. This is Atlantis, so I'm surprised Mr. Nimbus didn't show up. And that's for, for... Oh, that would be grand. <laughs> <sighs> Seeming as I've only watched one episode of Frickin' Morty ever, I cannot contribute. <laughs> We're in Atlantis again, Morty. I uh, hope uh, Mr. Nimbus doesn't show up. <laughs> well, yep, that would be it couple animation details I wanted to pick out, if I may, before we close this conversation. One was, I kind of liked, at the beginning, when they're in the TARDIS console room, you can see the police box exterior doors sort of mapped onto the interior doors. It's kind of hard to convey orally. And I don't know if it was that way in the original. That seems unlikely, because I don't think we've ever seen that. And they would have to stretch in some unnatural Mm -hmm. ways to fit onto the outside of those doors, but maybe it's just a weird quirk of the TARDIS dimensioning. I don't know. I thought it was kind of neat. The fan theory through all of classic Doctor Who, until obviously in New Who it came back with the TARDIS exterior doors mapping onto the interior, as it does today, but the fan theory was that it was always some kind of void between the exterior doors and the interior doors. And I know I saw that too, and I didn't particularly like it for that reason. It didn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. To your point, Rob, they would have to kind of warp a bit to actually do that. Well, it seems we have a raging controversy. It does. It does. (laughs) Will our friendship ever survive this? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe with counseling. Okay. With an atmosphere of deep trust, we can work through this. But right now, (laughs) the wound is fresh. Hey, Riley, do you care? Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> no. No, okay. I do not. <laughs> the other thing was the doctor's note when he bluffs his way to save oh. them from execution, he writes a note mm-hmm. to Zara. And in the animation, it just says, I have a secret, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I don't know if you saw this in the reconstruction when you reviewed this the first time, but apparently in the original episode, 
The note was more dramatic. It was something to the effect of a vital secret dies with me. And he signs it, Dr. W. Yeah. Oh, right. And I'm always a sucker for a sly reference to the doctor sometimes being called Dr. W. So I thought it was kind of a shame that that was changed. And I think it was, was it The Highlanders, which was literally the story before where he claimed that his name was Dr. Von Wehr, which was the German for Doctor Who. I think that was The Highlanders. Yep. Oh, man. But it's a minor detail. The story doesn't hinge on it. It's just kind of, oh, mm, boy. But Rob, to your point, that's interesting at this time in the show's history, because the very last story of season three was The War Machines, which is where you get the Doctor Who is required. And then you get Dr. Von Wehr in the story preceding this, and then you get Dr. W in this story. Interesting how at this time they were a bit more open to that potentially being his name. I think, unless Riley or Julie, do you have anything else? Well, just one thing, and that is going back to the Underwater Menace after, I swear, like I said, it feels like years. <laughs> and I know it's been years, but it feels like longer than that. One thing that I, and this is not about the animation, but is the story itself, the serial itself. I really enjoyed how in this serial... From the very beginning all the way to the end, it is just a natural increasing of Zaroff's irritability and annoyance. It just keeps building over time, and I just find that very humorous. I enjoyed that aspect, and I feel like the stakes were high but contained, right? Mm -hmm. Because so often in Doctor Who, sometimes the stakes get so high, you're just like, okay, great, the world's ending again, thanks, but... This one, the stakes were high enough for the people who were there, but not so much that it was like a world threat. And I enjoy that. Oh, I have one further thing on the animation. In part four, when everything's getting flooded, the way the statue of Amdo breaks up, Mm -hmm. that happened a bit too quickly. And to me, it took me out of it a little bit as the water rose incredibly quickly and the statue almost looked like it exploded rather than broke apart. Again, I'm nitpicking. I kind of liked it, not going to lie. Like, yeah, maybe it happened a bit too quickly, but I enjoyed it. Well, I guess I will just have to forgive you as well as Rob, Julie. Well, I'm right, you know. It's fine. (laughs) I know, you're always right. (laughs) Overall, as an animation... What did you guys think? Was this as successful as others? I know we've said that it's been a little better than the previous couple, but I think the gold standard for us in the past has been the invasion. Does it stand up to the invasion or is it a bit more middle of the road? What are you thinking? I'm thinking above average. That's what I'm thinking. I know it's not a very like splashy hot take, but this was decent. Nothing absolutely horrendous. In fact, the... (laughs) only two things not of the animation the two things that made it difficult to watch at times were of course the hilarious aura of your goodness line which you know made me fall on the floor and start having a seizure and then the second one was i forgot how horrible the sound was in the mine oh yeah yeah Good sure. god so animation though it's in the upper half i say Yeah, for me, the animation is definitely one of the better ones that we have. It also helps that the story's a bit better, too, because, like, Abominable Snowman, not Mm -hmm. great animation, not great story, although it does have 
panda salad bar in it. So <laughs> miss him. But no, it's a better animation. And even with the colors, I know some people weren't as big of a fan of the colors, but I think it worked for this story. If they had tried to use this color scheme for a different story, it would not work at all. Yeah, mm. I agree with that. Rob, have you seen enough of the animations to be able to judge? Well, just as a piece of animation, I thought it was good. It was fairly zippy, fairly fluid. As far as the color scheme goes, since they're indoors underground so much of the time, maybe a, a darker color scheme might have worked better, but it was appealing enough. And compared to, for instance, Power of the Daleks, which would have been one of the earlier ones that I saw, I think they've gone through a lot of improvement since they started doing these. Awesome. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like you had that original wave in the mid to late 2000s that were for the most part quite good. And then when they started the range back with power, it started quite well, took a dip and has started rebounding with this. I'm hoping the Celestial Toy Maker will be better than it looks from the trailer. And I'm hoping that whatever comes next will continue the upward trend that this has set. But overall, I thought it was good. Now, we are going to go ahead and rate this. For myself, Julie and Riley, this will be a re-rating. So really just to understand whether actually being able to see the whole thing has really impacted how we view the story as a whole. And Rob, this is your very first time rating this on the show. So yes. if you're willing to go first, <laughs> we would love to hear your thoughts and how you would score this one. I am absolutely willing and thank you for the privilege. So... I came in uh, carrying a bit of the long-standing fan opinion on this story, that it is not good. In fact, widely considered one of the worst stories ever. But I was rather pleasantly surprised. I didn't hate this. I thought a lot of the ideas were very provocative. There were many things that were very questionable. I would have loved to see how Zaroff first came to Atlantis and inveigled himself into the society, apparently convinced so many people to go along with his bizarre Mr. Burns plan. <laughs> you know, since the dawn of time, man has yearned to destroy Atlantis. That's what that felt like to me. But judging it on what is actually given to us instead of what it failed to give us, I thought it was sort of okay. And again, the animation was zippy. They gave us a lot of extra nice touches in it. So ultimately, I am rating it 4 out of 10. Roly-poly fish heads eat them up yum. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's go with Riley next. And Riley, on the previous occasion, mm -hmm. you gave this a 7 out of 10. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed it originally. And don't get me wrong, I still enjoyed it this time, just not as much. And the reasoning behind that is I really enjoyed that specific period of Who where we had black and white missing episodes with strange creatures and outlandish costumes, and you couldn't possibly imagine what it could have looked like, or you could try, and that would be the enjoyment, was be able to try to figure out what this looked like. Like, how did it really work? And your mind would just race, and it was really wonderful, and I really enjoyed that. And I think that's why, back oh so long ago, I gave this a 7 out of 10. And going through it again, <laughs> now being able to remember certain things that I've completely forgotten, um, 
I still enjoy it overall. It's really campy. It's odd. Things I like about the show. But I can't get over, of course, that terrible line. And also the mining sound was just absolutely horrendous. So I'm going to have to bring it down a little bit. But I'll only bring it down to a six. So it's six socialist uprisings of fish people out of ten. (laughs) (laughs) You have nothing to lose but your hooks. All right, Julie, what have you got? Previously, you gave this seven and a half. I did enjoy this. I'm not surprised, let's be honest. I think a lot of the episodes back in the past automatically got a 0.5 just because Jamie was there. Uh, (laughs) For better or for worse, I'm sorry, everyone. This is just how my mind goes. I rather enjoyed this, especially from an animation style. The feelings that I got of Scooby-Doo or early superhero stuff is something that I really enjoy. Grew up on it. It's one of my favorite animation styles. I'm not always a fan of the newer ones. So I enjoyed that aspect of it. And that helped me. I think there were certain things that happened from a reconstruction perspective that was hard to think through of what was going on. And as opposed to Riley, for some reason, I enjoyed getting to see a visual of it other than just having it live in my head. But there are some other things you know, Riley mentioned a few of those audio issues and some of the characters acting a little oddly. So I'll probably give it just a straight seven octopi giving a side eye out of 10. <laughs> All right. I previously gave this seven and a half. And I was looking back at previous times when we've done animations after the fact. And every time before, the animation has improved my score. Now, I really enjoyed this. I actually thought it was a very engaging four episodes of Doctor Who. I thought the plot, while silly, the story, while a little bit campy, and certainly the acting, while very campy, thank you very much, (laughs) Joseph First, as Professor Zaroff, it holds together very well and certainly a lot better than fan opinion would have it. I was looking, before we spoke about it, where it landed on both the Mighty 200 poll and the 50th anniversary poll. And in both cases, it was bottom 20 stories of all time. In fact, in the Mighty 200, it was bottom 10. Wow. Yeah, Rob, just so you know, we don't like fandom sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) And overall, I still solidly disagree with that. I think this is a very solid piece of Doctor Who particularly when it comes in a season that started off with the smugglers of all things. (laughs) So overall, I don't think my opinion has really changed on this. I think the animation brings something else, but it doesn't necessarily make it better. It doesn't necessarily make it worse. It just brings a different vision that still kind of works for me. And so for that, I give this seven and a half Zaroff branded X-Men uniforms <laughs> out of 10. Nice. <laughs> there you go. Which, when you include Rob's score, that gives us a story average of 6.13. When you exclude Rob's and just go for watches only, we're at 6.83, which means this is the first animation that has had a lower score on rewatching it with the animation than the original version had. Really? Which is so strange considering that it's not the animation's fault. Yeah. I think a big part of that comes down to we have just watched a lot more Doctor Who mm-hmm. since then. And where we are on our regular episodes right now, we're in what many people would consider 
the pinnacle of the show being the end of the Philip Hinchcliffe era and moving into the beginning of Graham Williams. So we've been watching some really good Doctor Who. And so I do wonder if maybe there's an element of this we're kind of putting Mm -hmm. in the context of how much we're enjoying the show that we're watching right now versus in the context of season four. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that, that very well could be it. So it'll be interesting when we next do one of these with the Celestial Toymaker to see how that shakes out. Probably not well. (laughs) (laughs) It's very problematic. Not even from the thing that most people call it problematic for. It's, what's his name? That annoying (laughs) Cecil? Cyril. 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 Sorry. Cyril is the best. The they should have brought him back. He's he's more terrifying than the Celestial Toymaker. I want the 14th Doctor and Cyril. That should have been the last special. Oh, no. Maybe in the specials when the Toymaker referred to the one who waits. Yes, it's Cyril. Cyril. And Cyril <laughs> is going to be God. the big bad going up against Shooty Gatwa's Doctor. Please, you please, heard it God. Here first, ladies and gentlemen. If I don't see a line of chairs... I'm going to be so Well, you know, obviously, if you do, we'll have to talk about them anyway. Yes. I think that brings us to the end. So, Rob, thank you very, very much for joining us for this. Is there anywhere else listeners can find you if they want to find out more about Rob Lloyd? Not at the moment, no. Okay. You'll just have to keep your eyes and ears peeled for me. You never know where I may pop up. But... Let me conclude by saying how much I appreciated spending this time with you, watchers. It's been a real pleasure talking about Doctor Who. Yeah, and uh, we've really enjoyed having you. I think we would definitely love to have you back on another bonus episode sometime. So we will see what is coming up that you might be interested in. Excellent. All right. As always, dear listeners. Thank you so very much for listening to us. I'm not going to promise to you what the next regular episode (laughs) is because I'm not 100% sure of where we're slotting this in. But whatever it is, please join us next time round. And of course, between now and then, have a good one. You have been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Julie Philippek, Riley Schreck, Robert Lloyd, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, How Is This Guy Funded, was recorded on Monday the 15th of January 2024. If this is your first time listening in, all of our previous episodes are available through your favorite podcasting app. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at at Watchers4D, and you can also email us at Watchers4D at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and leave us a review or rating on your favorite podcasting app. All of those things really do help the show. And always remember just how much I love saying, nothing in the world can stop me now.